Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do. We gather here today uh, to praise your name, to celebrate what Easter Sunday means. And we know, Father, that what we do in this moment is joined by the millions upon millions of brothers and sisters scattered around the globe who are facing very much the same restrictions and challenges that we face here, but refuse to give in to the challenges of this world and continue to commit to boldly declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we now approach your word, as we approach your scripture, God, we ask that once again, you would enrich our hearts, you would enrich our souls, our minds, and our understanding of all that has been done for us in Jesus Christ, that we would leave here once again, not just encouraged, but changed, transformed, ready to eagerly serve you in every arena of life to which you lead us. We thank you for this time, God. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Somewhat see you. I can see you through your windshields. And uh, there's no doubt that for all of us, this is an Easter that we are not soon going to forget. Uh, It's very unique. It's very different. But I believe uh, the fact that it is so unique and so different will make it incredibly memorable for all of us. And so I want you all to know we've been praying for you. We're continuing to pray for you. And we long for the day that we get to no longer have to deal with this this, uh, restriction and this disruption, but can truly uh, embrace one another again with love and affection and sincerity as we celebrate the bond that we have in Jesus Christ. So uh, while we have these restrictions today, it is so good to see you even in this capacity. I hope you've had a great weekend. Uh, I hope it's been a wonderful weekend for those of you. I know it's been a full weekend in the Smith household. Uh, Part of that's because not only have we been getting ready for Easter, but yesterday was Wu's birthday. Uh, David Wu turned three, right? It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome birthday celebration. So we've had a lot going on in our house. And I've told you all before that we love to make birthdays a pretty big deal in our home. And part of the way that we do that, as many people do, is to identify a theme and and really kind of go all out with the decorations and the games and the festivities. And so yesterday's theme for Wu's birthday was uh, a carnival theme. And it was really fun to see James and Annabelle uh, stay up late and help us set up the games and, you know, pin the nose on the clown and uh, the little balloon popping game. And, and they were great little helpers for us as we had a chance to kind of get this, this theme really decorated and, and set up for Wu's celebration. And as we were doing all that, I kept thinking back, I always do this whenever my kids have birthdays, is I think back on previous birthday celebrations and previous themes. And one of the one I kept coming back to was a couple years ago, uh, James's birthday party, he really wanted to have an American Ninja Warrior theme. And I don't know if y'all have seen that show before, but it's a pretty awesome show where you have these crazy athletes uh, come before this ridiculous obstacle course that tests their agility, their strength, their speed in in amazing ways. And and then when you get to the end of this obstacle course, every candidate uh, more or less or participant has this, this warped wall that they have to run up And once they run up the wall, they climb on top of it and pull themselves up and they hit this buzzer and it's this loud horn and the smoke goes off to kind of declare that they've overcome this obstacle course. And so James wanted a birthday party like that. And so we, we transformed our backyard into this, this obstacle course. And it was, it was pretty cool. I'll be honest. Like we, we were pretty proud of ourselves and the decorations, but as we were getting prepared for that, James kept coming to me saying, you know, dad, I really want that buzzer. Right, I really want to be able to get to the top of that wall and, and hit a buzzer and, and see that kind of victorious celebration. And I'll be honest, uh, that was a little tricky at first. I wasn't quite sure how I was going to be able to pull that off, and, uh, but I didn't want to disappoint him. And so I started researching it, but I didn't let him know 
because should I not be able to pull it off, I didn't want him to be disappointed. And so I started looking online. I, I found this little buzzer that, that kind of made a similar sound. And I thought, well, that, that might work. And, and so I got it sent to me. And then I, I matched the diameter of that buzzer with a PVC pipe and went to Home Depot and got a PVC pipe. And then I found this styrofoam block that I just jammed the PVC pipe in. And then I fixed the buzzer on top of the PVC pipe. I spray painted it silver. Uh, it was definitely quite an accomplishment of, of some high-level engineering. Let me just tell y'all, okay? It was pretty remarkable. And, and I, will, I will say, as I stood back and looked at it, I thought, you know, this isn't bad. I, I feel like I've succeeded as a dad here in this moment. And so on the day of his birthday, we had the obstacle course set up. He didn't know that I had made this buzzer yet. And so I kind of wanted to surprise him with that component of it. And so before his friends came over, I took him in the backyard and I said, hey, come, come with me to the driveway here. I got one more thing to show you for the obstacle course. And I, and I brought him around and I showed him the buzzer. And he saw it and his eyes got big and he was like, whoa, that's so awesome. And I, and I was feeling very proud and accomplished. And so he walks over and he hits the buzzer and then he looks at me and he goes, where's the smoke? And obviously what I felt like had been a moment of success was kind of taken from me because I didn't have the smoke filled out with the buzzer as well. Now, the reason he wanted that though, and the reason he kind of instinctively desired it is because that's something that we all relate to is that in that show, that's that moment of victory, is it not? It's that moment where that participant, that contestant gets to the top of those challenges, gets over, able to overcome all those obstacles, and there's this celebration of victory. And we love to celebrate overcoming obstacles. We love that thrill of victory. We equate it to sports, and, and we think about our teams winning championships and having this victory parade. We, we equate it to uh, even war and, and military, uh, military conquest, and we have military parades of victory. We, we think about it even politically, as a lot of politicians will have rallies that allow them to, to celebrate a victory over an opponent. We, we love creating those moments just instinctively as humans to experience that thrill of victory. And, and I mentioned that to us all this morning because I, I'm not sure exactly with what posture you arrive here today and, and how you've been feeling over the last three weeks, four weeks, however long it's been. I've lost count at this point, right? But I would imagine that because of what we're facing, many of you have, have shown up here today and you're dealing with just that challenge of being discouraged, right? It's hard to see news over and over again that's disheartening and, and is troubling and is concerning. Right? And so as a result, we can't help but be discouraged on a regular basis. Or maybe some of you here today, you're, you're struggling with that sense of loneliness, right? This isolation, this quarantining, this, this, these restrictions that we're having to deal with really create a sense of feeling uh, distant from somebody and, and distant from others. And that loneliness is really setting in and it's impacting you. Or maybe you've, you've now faced new obstacles, Right? We think about how the economy is struggling. We think about how people are now facing struggles at work or struggles with family or struggles with health that maybe now you've got these new obstacles that you're trying to deal with and you're discouraged by all those things because you're just looking for stability. You're looking for something that helps you find a way through. And so what we need today is a word of hope. What we need today is a word of encouragement. What we need today is a word of victory. And that's exactly what we're gonna focus in on today. And that's exactly where Paul leads us at this moment in the letter to the church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Ephesians chapter three. Thank you. I know you've got it, whoever it was that haunts. <laughs> turn to Ephesians chapter three. Now, what I wanna do for a moment is that we get to this point of Ephesians chapter three, and this is the climactic 
part, not just of the chapter, but really of the entire letter, right? Everything that Paul has done has been leading to this moment. And it, it really is the crescendo of everything that he is saying to this church. And, and so I want to remind you as to what has led to this point, because he begins this section that we're reading today with, for this reason, right? Well, what is the reason that has led to this doxology, this climactic prayer that we find at the end of chapter three? Well, if you remember in chapter one, what, what Paul is trying to encourage his readers to understand is everything that God has done for them in Christ Jesus, right? And so the emphasis is that, listen, this mystery has been revealed that all things are gonna find their culmination in Jesus Christ, right? That, that he is the answer. Everything is leading to Jesus. Now, in addition to that, in chapter two, Paul elaborates and says, part of how we see this mystery here and now is, is that Jew and Gentile have been brought together. God is creating this new humanity. The two are becoming one and they are being built together. This church is on the rise. And then the beginning of chapter three, he says, now the reason God is doing this, his intent for doing this is so that his manifold wisdom would be made known. Right? So this, this revelation of this, ministry, of this mystery that is being culminated in Jesus Christ, fulfilled in the church, that's revealing the manifold wisdom of God because of all those things. For this reason, Paul offers this final prayer in this word of doxology. Let's take a look in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. He writes, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. What a beautiful passage and one that I think is more than appropriate for an Easter Sunday. Now what we see in this final prayer is really kind of a three-pronged structure. It's actually Trinitarian in its, in its revelation because Paul appoints or references a desire to be strengthened by the Spirit, to, to have Christ dwell within you, and to be brought to the full measure of God. So you have Spirit, Christ, God. You have Spirit, Son, Father. It's this Trinitarian prayer. But before we look at those three components, I want to make sure that we acknowledge the posture with which Paul approaches this prayer. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, we've already talked about the reason that's, that's uh, kind of led to this prayer, but let me point out the significance of him saying, I kneel before the Father. Uh, one of the reasons that that should resonate with us is because kneeling was a very different posture than what was customary at the time. More often than not, when somebody was going to pray, they would stand to pray. And so for Paul to kneel in prayer demonstrates this posture of surrender, this posture of supplication, and there's this fervency and urgency with which he's praying. And, and that to me serves as a model in terms of how we should live our lives, that you and I need to go about this life with that same sense of surrender, that same desire of, of supplication for God's power to be unleashed, and that we would live with that fervency, with that urgency as we seek to follow him. So, so he kneels and demonstrates that posture. He kneels before the Father. That word before speaks to intimacy. 
right? It, it speaks to this, this closeness. Paul has already talked about the access that we now have with God through Christ Jesus and that we can approach God with freedom, with confidence. And so saying that I'm praying before the Father speaks to that intimacy and allows us to see that, that Paul is in close relationship with God, right? And that's something that, that we need to remember as well, that, that as Paul is demonstrating, he hasn't had to ask somebody else to go on his behalf. He hasn't asked somebody else, like a high priest or a chief priest to intercede for his doing. No, that he has that personal relationship with God through Christ. And that same relationship is extended to each and every one of us as well. So he kneels before the Father. Father speaks to God's sovereignty, right? Paul explains, the Father from whom every family on earth derives its name. He is the creator of all. He is father of all. So Paul has this sovereignty in mind. But what really stands out to me is that before he gets to this three-pronged part of his prayer, he says that out of his glorious riches, that that's how he begins to pray. Paul is approaching this moment with a full understanding of the glorious riches of Jesus Christ, right? Think, think about that. How many times throughout this letter he has tried to awaken his readers and awaken you and me to the significance, to the sufficiency, to the surpassing sufficiency that we have in Christ Jesus, right? He uses words like lavish and riches and all surpassing, incomparable time and time again through these first three chapters so that when you and I approach life, when we approach prayer, we don't do so with a scarcity mentality, we don't do so with just a little bit, but with an understanding that God has more than enough. I don't know about you, but in times in my life where I have dealt with seasons of being discouraged or, or facing struggles or facing obstacles, a lot of times what I find myself doing is praying for something to sustain me, right? I, I find myself coming before God saying, God, just, just help me, just, just sustain me in this season, and I wonder how many of you are sharing that sort of mentality and that sort of experience. How many times are you laying in bed at night or falling on your knees saying, Lord, just get me through this. And, and I would tell you that those sorts of prayers are beautiful in, in the sense that they reveal a certain vulnerability, that they reveal a certain dependency. But I also wanna challenge us today to say that a lot of times when we pray that way and we think that way, we begin to think and live far too small. Right? We lose sight of the glorious riches that have been provided for us through Jesus Christ, that God is more than able to meet every single one of our needs. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to remind his readers of and remind us of today. And so with that as a context and, context and as a background, let's consider briefly these three points that he mentions. Right? First, first one that you would be strengthened by the power of the Spirit in your inner person. That's, that's what he's asking for, right? So we see the first part that it's through the power of the Spirit of God. And, and ultimately what he's asking for is that you would be strengthened. And in that word strengthened is very much literally the opposite of what it means to be discouraged. Okay, so think about how he ends verse 13. He says, don't be discouraged because of my suffering for you, right? Now I'm asking you to actually be, be strengthened, Do, be, be the opposite, and so it makes me wonder, and I think something that we need to give consideration to this morning as well, is what is it that typically creates that sense of discouragement in our lives, right? What is it that discourages you? When you think about the word, it, it literally means to have a lack of courage, to have a lack of hope, right? To, to have a lack of confidence, to literally be, be void, to be discouraged. 
And so what is it that robs you of that hope? What is it that you face in life that, that robs you of that confidence? What is it that, that creates that fear? I think a lot of times we go through life and we're discouraged because of the insurmountable obstacles that appear in front of us, right? Be it, be it some sort of challenge that we're facing in society or with, with health or with, with grief or with loss. We, we have these things that we look at and we think, I just don't know if I have the strength to overcome it. Or maybe we're discouraged by the things that people say about us, right? Things that we've heard said to our faces or behind our backs that, that make us question our self-worth and who we are. Maybe we're discouraged because of failure. Time and time again, we struggle to succeed. We, we continue to, to make mistakes and that failure just begins to heap itself upon us. Maybe we get discouraged because of all these different things that, that come along the way that rob us of that sense of hope. What, what is it in your life that creates that sense of being discouraged? Right? Part of what I want us to see today is that the way in which we solve that is through God's strength. Right, that it is, it is through the power of God. We've been talking about the power of God throughout this whole year. We've looked at it through Moses. We've looked at it through this letter that, that our prayer is for God's power to be unleashed, that his spirit would come in and eradicate that fear, eradicate that discouragement, and that you and I would be strengthened, right? That we would find that hope, that we would find that courage. But the question becomes, how do we find it, right? What, what is it that actually encourages us? What is it that's going to strengthen us when we go through times like that. Now, I, I don't know about you. I think, I think there's a lot of ways that we could answer that. I mean, sometimes it is to, to succeed. Sometimes it is to have an encouraging word. But, but for me in my life, when I think back on those experiences, one of the greatest sources of encouragement is to recognize that I'm not in it alone, right? To find somebody else that's gone through the same trial or the same struggle or is facing the same obstacle that I've faced and all of a sudden to be able to relate to that person, have empathy with that person and to recognize, hey, they've gone through it as well. And, and I think that's in some ways how these first two parts of this prayer work together, right? That ultimately what Paul is trying to do here is to encourage his readers that you can find this strength, you can find this courage by remembering the essence of this timeless promise that is consistently laid out for us through the scriptures, right? Time and time again, does God come alongside the disheartened and the discouraged? And what does he tell them? He says, be strong and courageous. Why? For I am with you, right? I will never leave you or forsake you. This is the essence of the gospel, right? That Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so the second part of this prayer is that you would be strengthened by the power of the Spirit through your inner person and that Christ would dwell within you, right? That you would be reminded that you are not alone. No matter what you face, he is with you. Now, when we find the indwelling of Christ, the only way that we truly experience it is through faith, right? And that's another theme that we've talked about consistently throughout this year, right? To have faith. And that faith means to have assurance, Right? It means to have confidence. And, and I want to encourage you today that while we live in a time and we live in a season where a lot of people may find that self of, or, or their faith to be shaken, can I implore with you today, church, now is not the time to waver. Now is not the time to question. Now is the time to rise up in a full assurance of faith to boldly declare that God is with us. Right? That's what this season is calling for. That's the sort of faith that we need to demonstrate. And I recognize that when I say that to you this morning, you may sit there and go, well, that sounds good. That sounds nice. But can I tell you, it's kind of hard 
to achieve, right? How do I get that assurance? How do I find that unwavering confidence in Christ to know that he dwells within me? And when we ask that question, the only answer is for us to look squarely and fully on his love. That's what Paul does, right? To, to give you that assurance is to consider the love of Jesus Christ. Specifically, Paul says that we wanna be able to be rooted and established in his love. I, I love this, this terminology that he's used here because rooted and established is using two of Paul's favorite metaphors, right? So the established word uh, kind of draws us back into this building analogy and imagery that he's done for us previously in this letter, right? That you're being built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, and then you're being built together uh, leading up to the capstone that is Christ Jesus. You're being bought, uh, built together through his love, right? That, that's ultimately what, what we see here with this phrase of being established. But we also have this word rooted. And I love that imagery of being rooted in Christ's love, uh, because I think it's something that, that any of us can find and point to in our own lives, right? So, so like, I like to mow the yard, okay? I do. Uh, I enjoy getting out and sweating a little bit and, and doing some yard work out there that allows me to look back and see like tangible results of productivity. I enjoy that. Uh, but I can be honest with you, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've actually gotten down and tilled some soil to plant some flowers, right? Like planting, that kind of, that's not me at all, but it is my wife. She loves to plant flowers. She loves to plant uh, vegetation, fruits, vegetables, all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's all over our house and she gets fascinated with it. She'll, she'll even do some like in these clear jars and be like, look at the roots, you know, starting to form down. She gets super excited about it. And so I think it was last Mother's Day that she asked for uh, an Oklahoma redbud tree. Uh, she's from Oklahoma, as many of you know. It's one of her favorite trees. There you go. And it's one of her favorite trees. And we don't see a ton of them around here. And she said, Man, I would just love to have an Oklahoma redbud in our, in our yard. And so that's what we got her for, for Mother's Day. But when you get a small tree and you plant it in your yard, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of unsure if it's going to make it. They, they put these little posts in alongside it to give it some stability. And they give you these instructions on how to water it. And it's kind of, kind of guesswork because it's like you water it too much and you're going to kill it. Water it not enough and you're going to kill it. And so the whole time you're just like, well, I hope, I hope this is right, you know. And to be honest, I don't know that we paid as close attention to it as we probably should. And so we go through the summer, we go through the fall, and we don't really see a whole lot coming from this tree. Then we get into winter, and I'll be honest, man, it just looked weak. It looked withered. It, it looked dead. And, and I even turned to her towards the end of the winter. I said, man, did it, did it take root? Like, did it work? Did, did, did this tree die? And <clears throat> she was like, man, I don't think so, but it's really hard to tell, isn't it? And then sure enough, maybe like a week later, uh, right before spring really got here and towards the end of winter, we walked outside and that redbud tree was in full bloom. I mean, it was beautiful, just covered in these red buds that were just really, really gorgeous. And if I had a screen for you today, I would have taken a picture and shown it to you. But it was such an amazing reminder of what it does to be rooted in something, right? That when we're rooted in something, we can't always tell externally how deep those roots go and what fruit it's gonna produce, right? That there are times we're gonna go through these winter seasons where externally it looks like something is going to wither and you might even question if it's going to make it. But at the right time, all of a sudden you see this radiant and glorious transformation. And that's exactly what happens when we're rooted in the love of Christ. 
right? That you and I, throughout this life, will go through seasons of struggle, go through seasons of hardship that on the outside looking in, sometimes people may look and wonder, man, are they gonna make it, right? It's gonna have its wear, it's gonna have its tear on us, we're gonna have this appearance of, of being withered almost, but at just the right time, when that season ends, because our roots are established in the love of Christ, it will produce a radiant and glorious transformation. That's why we decorated the cross like we did today, right? That, that this symbol of death just three days ago is now radiantly and gloriously transformed to a symbol of life because it is rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. And so the question that we all must wrestle with this morning, church, is do you truly grasp it, right? Do you truly understand, can you actually conceive the love of Jesus? Do you feel it? coursing within you, understanding the love of Christ? Do you understand how wide and long and high and deep his love is for you? And that's exactly what we wanna take time to make sure we don't miss on this Easter Sunday. I mean, think about it. We live in a time right now where we are truly facing what is being called and referred to as an enemy, right? When you think about this pandemic, you think about this virus that is literally spreading all over the world, claiming territory, claiming lives. You have this, this language from government officials, political leaders that are saying, this is an enemy and we need to embrace a wartime mentality, which is why we're going through all these sacrifices of what life used to be so that we can find a victory over this enemy, right? And so that's exactly what I think many of us can resonate with today is, is a longing for some form of a victory over this enemy that we face. But the reality is, church, is that we don't need and didn't need a pandemic or some virus to awaken us to the fact that an enemy existed, right? Now, it becomes a more tangible expression of it, but the reality is, is that as we said a couple of weeks ago, there is an enemy that is far greater and far more vicious that has always been around and is one that we still face, and that's the enemy of brokenness. That's the enemy of sin. That's the enemy of death. Right, And it's one that every single one of us knows exists and we all have to face. And, and the question that we often wrestle with when we come face to face with this enemy is why is it here? Right? Why do we have to deal with the world that has this kind of brokenness and this sort of death? And it's a reminder that the essence of this gospel teaches us is that every single one of us carries inherently within us this desire to go our own way. Right, to question God, to question his word, to say, I'm gonna decide what's right and wrong. I'm gonna decide what's good and evil. I'm gonna decide what's just and unjust. I'm gonna decide what's moral and immoral for myself. And when we choose that separation, when we turn our backs on him, what he says is that you walk out on me, you walk out on life because I am life. You walk out on love because I am love. So to separate yourself from me creates death right? It creates pain. And that's the reality that we all face is that this example of these deaths, of these enemies, remind us of this separation. But the good news is that because of God's love for us, he sees us facing the enemy and he refuses to let us fight this fight alone. But because we are his children and because he loves us, he runs to the battleground to fight this fight on our behalf through the person of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus demonstrates ultimate servanthood by sacrificing himself on the cross, 
he absorbs fully all the wrath that God had in store for those who would turn his back on him. And in so doing, the punishment that we deserve, the death that we deserve, was laid upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. But I want you to think about what his followers felt after that Good Friday. I want you to think about what they felt on that Saturday. How they too were walking with their heads down, disheartened, discouraged, wondering what was next, without hope, without confidence, without assurance, and they were looking for some sort of answer. And so what did they find on Easter Sunday, church? What did they find? Did they find loneliness? Did they find depression? Did they find fear? Did they find anxiety? No, they found that the stone was rolled away and they heard the message of the angel that has reverberated from generation to generation. He is not here. He is risen. He has conquered the grave. Amen? And that's the message of hope. Death has been defeated. It was a message of victory. And it is a message that you and I have a chance to respond to today as well. It is why God is desperately longing for us to turn away from that impulse within and to come running back to him. To come running back to a greater understanding of his love. And so the question every one of us must answer, not just once, but every single day and every single season, is will you run and seek to grasp the wonders of his love? As Paul says in the book of Romans, when we consider all these things, we discover we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For we can be convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the width and length and height and depth of his love. And when we truly begin to sense that and are rooted and established in it, unwavering because of that love, it leads us to the third part of this prayer as Paul cries out for the fullness of God. Man, I love this part of his prayer because another way to say it would be Paul saying, God, don't hold anything back, right? I want, I want all of you. I want the fullness of you. Right? And I think that's such an incredible prayer to pray and something that's so applicable for us and what we face right now when we're constantly going without certain luxuries and comforts that we were so accustomed to is that it has given us a reminder of the sufficiency of the gospel, right? That, that God gives us all that we could ever need. And so what we find in this prayer is not just a declaration of praise, but a desire and a longing for the fullness of God. And I think that's important for us to really stop and reflect upon today, right? Because it's, it's great to, to celebrate. It's great to give praise. And it's great to ask for the fullness of God. God, don't hold anything back. But can we be honest with each other and acknowledge that sometimes it feels like he has, that he has held back, right? That, that though we have this good news, we still struggle with being discouraged. We still struggle with being lonely. We still struggle with fear and we still cower with some of these obstacles that are in our way. And so sometimes it feels like this fullness is not yet here. And so the reason I bring that out and bring that up today is for number one, for all of us to understand that though we have this incredible message of God's love, we are not immune to the hardships of this life. We're not immune to those, those challenges and those moments of being discouraged. They, they are a part of our current existence. 
But I'm also bringing it up because it should teach us what it means for longing. It should teach us that when we live our lives, we desire his kingdom to come and his will be done here on this earth as it is in heaven. We long for the fullness of this victory to be made known. And that's where we keep our eyes. And that's where we turn our gaze. You know, as we, as we enter into a Sunday like today, I heard numerous times on TV and in other conversations how sad it is that we have to go through this pandemic on an Easter Sunday. But can I counter that and say, actually, I think this is the perfect time to have a pandemic because this is exactly the message that all of us need to be reminded of today, that we would have an opportunity to see that no matter what transpires in this world, there is a reason for hope. And so though we are facing this, here's what I would implore you to do is to go through this season with that faith, with that strengthening, with that desire for God's fullness and to truly long for him. And so resist the temptation, church, to look back on the life that once was. Resist the temptation to look back on the way that things used to be. I don't want you to sit there and long for the return of normalcy. I would rather all of us collectively long for the return of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be longing for. That's what we need to be celebrating. And when we do that, you and I carry a different posture and we live with a fuller awareness of the glorious riches of Jesus Christ. And our prayers and our demeanor take on a different tone. They begin to sound like what we read in the scriptures of Moses, right? Who, who stands with the armies of Egypt barreling down upon him in an insurmountable sea on the other side and declares to these cowering people, do not be afraid for the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. We think about King David who faces giants and when he hears those giants defying the armies of Israel, he rises up and says, who is it that thinks they can defy the armies of the living God? And he runs to the battle line to meet him. We think about three men who stand before a king facing their own certain death in a fiery furnace and say, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter because we know our God is able to save and he will. And if, even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down and worship you. We think about this carpenter a carpenter who would go around forgiving sins. And when that authority was questioned, he would have the lame walk and the blind see to demonstrate that power. This same carpenter who could feed 5,000 in front of him, the same carpenter who could get the wind and the waves to obey him. We think about this Jesus who willingly gave his life for you and me so that we could see that love. And on that third day, he gave life to the church and he set it aflame that allowed all those followers to stand before similar persecution, similar struggles, similar suffering, and find that an ability to rejoice for being counted worthy for the suffering of that name. And what is that name, church, but the name of Jesus Christ? And I would encourage you today that that name is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And he has done more than just risen. He will return. And he who is coming will come without delay. And let me tell you, the next time we see him, he's not gonna be a humble carpenter. He's gonna be a rider on a great white horse whose name is faithful and true. His eyes will be like blazing fire and he will come with the armies of heaven and his name will be tattooed on his thigh and it will say, King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he will ride in the fullness of ultimate victory. Amen? Amen.
And that's the victory that we celebrate and we long for today. And so let us live out this doxology. Let us come together as his church, joining with brothers and sisters gathered all across the globe. And let us bring him glory, saying to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could have ever asked or imagined. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus now and forevermore. For he is King of kings and Lord of lords and his is the victory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We celebrate you. And God, we, be, we are honest, we long for you. We long for your return. And we long for the fullness of this victory that you have secured for us in Christ Jesus. And so may we gather together today and once again be rooted and established in this incredible love. God, help us to grasp with all the Lord's people gathered around the globe on this Easter Sunday to truly comprehend how wide and long and high and deep is this love so that we can give you the glory you so richly deserve. We love you, Father, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.